It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April fourteenth, two thousand and sixteen. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. We're glad that you're here. We look forward to hearing from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Toll free. The lines open and ready for your calls. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. And if you're listening to us live tonight, the video, the chat window to the bottom of your video feed is open and ready for your comments there. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is away tonight preaching in Indiana. In his absence tonight, uh, Monty Overton slides into the hot seat. Monty, thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Look forward to hearing from you. And uh, behind the controls tonight, it has literally been months since he's been here. Anthony Petrachko is here. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, the rumors of, uh, of my death are greatly exaggerated. Yeah, right. Well, I will look forward to hearing from you uh, tonight, Anthony, as well from that seat. And uh, we have an interesting program planned for tonight. We want to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Monty, uh, they are a group that has a lot of doctrinal misconceptions, a lot of doctrinal error. We're going to talk about some of those errors tonight. I think it's important that we talk about them, though, because there may not be another group of individuals with whom we may have more opportunity to study than those of the Jehovah's Witnesses, as they are very um, dedicated, and uh, they're reaching out to try and uh, study with with people in their community. Now, Jacob, you have to admire them because, as you said, they are very dedicated and, and they're very evangelistic in their efforts. And really and truly, in a lot of ways, that in that regard, they put the rest of us to shame because, you know, we I, I personally haven't been out knocking on doors nowhere near as much as what I recognize that the Jehovah's Witness do. Yeah, so chances are we'll have the opportunity to study with them. They'll knock on our door sooner or later. And uh, so we want to know some of their misconceptions, how those misconceptions can be answered according to the scriptures, what the scriptures teach, and uh, not only so that we can be sure of what the scriptures teach, but so hopefully we can help influence uh, those who are in error. And so that's our intention on the program tonight. We have several of those topics that we want to talk about, those doctrinal errors. They are numerous. We've selected a few tonight. We certainly have not touched on all of their doctrinal errors. We'll talk about a few of them, hopefully. The first one we want to talk about, and we sent out to our update list earlier today, they believe, Monty, that Jesus is not deity. He's not God. He's a created being. And if you probe a little deeper into their beliefs, uh, they will be forthcoming to tell you that not only do they believe he's not God, they believe he's actually Michael the Archangel. And uh, they have some scriptures they go to for that. We'll look at that. Uh, so how do you answer that? How do you answer the, the claim that Jesus is not deity? He's actually Michael the archangel. 
Number two we're going to look at tonight, uh, they, they also believe that the Holy Spirit is not God, but he's rather God's active force in the world uh, that he uses to accomplish his will. So the Holy Spirit is not God. How do you show that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, uh, deity? Number three, they believe man has no immortal soul. When you're dead, you're dead. Nothing lives on beyond the grave. Uh, you are do not have an immortal soul. Number four, they believe there's no existence for the wicked after death. So if you're wicked, you die. That's it. It's all over. This idea of hell or an eternal place of punishment is not scriptural, they say. How do you answer that? How do you show that there is existence for the wicked after death and that there is a place of eternal punishment? Number five, they believe that the world will not utterly be destroyed, that it will exist forever, and that it is actually where a majority of the righteous will live eternally. 144,000 will go to heaven to be with God and Jesus. The remainder of those of the righteous people will live here eternally. And in fact, if you were to become a Jehovah's Witness, that would be likely your hope of uh, reward, that being to live forever here on the earth. And so we'll talk about that, Lord willing, as the program goes along. Look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Chris from Georgia sent in an email today. He says, not to be flippant, but since I have limited time during the day to respond, I can respond to all five of these questions at once. My, my answer should be, they should read, or my answer is, they should read the Bible. Every one of these beliefs is in direct contradiction to God's word. I do, um, he, he goes on and adds, I miss having time to respond to the questions, but he does listen to the podcast every week. He says, we join him for a jog or a walk every week. <laughs> Well, so thanks for that, Chris. And uh, I guess, uh, well, if you're jogging right now, Chris, pick up the pace, man. You're, you're, you're slacking <laughs> there. Uh, but thank you, Chris, for that. And he wants a he wants a bumper sticker, so we'll get one of those headed Chris's way. If you want a bumper sticker as well, we'll remind you, you send us an email with your snail mail address, and we can get you a bumper sticker so you can help spread the word. All right. Uh, Jesus is not deity, but he's actually Michael the Archangel. Let me read you from... Uh, their website, what they believe. The spirit creature called Michael is not mentioned often in the Bible. Again, this is from the Jehovah's Witnesses website. However, when he is referred to, he is in action. In the book of Daniel, Michael is battling wicked angels. In the letter of Jude, he is disputing with Satan. And in Revelation, he's waging war with the devil and his demons. By, defend, uh, by defending Je uh, Jehovah's rulership and fighting God's enemies, Michael lives up to the meaning of the, his, his name, who is like God. But who is Michael? At times, individuals are known by more than one name. For example, the patriarch Jacob is also known as Israel, and the apostle Peter is Simon. Likewise, the Bible indicates that Michael is another name for Jesus Christ before and after his life on earth. Let us consider scriptural reasons for drawing that conclusion. They say here that Michael is referred to in the Bible in a few places and that it has to be Jesus. Here's why they say that. They say because he's called an archangel. God's word refers to Michael the archangel in Jude verse 9. This term means chief angel. Notice that Michael is called the archangel. This suggests there's only one such angel. In fact, the term archangel occurs in the Bible only in the singular, never in the plural. Moreover, Jesus is linked with the office of archangel. Now, here's where the reasoning is going to get a little circular. 
All right, there's only one, and they're going to say, well, that has to be Jesus. Jesus, they say, uh, regarding the resurrected Lord Jesus, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, states, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a commanding call, with an archangel's voice. Thus, the voice of Jesus is described as being that of an archangel. The scripture, therefore, suggests that Jesus himself is Michael the archangel. We need to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. We'll continue with the, their article. They also say that he's an, ar- he's an army leader. The Bible states that Michael and his angels battled with the dragon and its angels. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Thus, Michael is the leader of an army of faithful angels. Again, the reasoning is going to get circular here, Anthony. Revelation also describes Jesus as the leader of an army of faithful angels. Revelation chapter 12, verses 14 through 16. And the Apostle Paul specifically mentions the Lord Jesus and his powerful angels. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. So the Bible speaks of both Michael and his angels and Jesus and his angels. Since God's word nowhere indicates that there are two armies of faithful angels in heaven, one headed by Michael and one headed by Jesus, it is logical to conclude that Michael is none other than Jesus Christ in his heavenly role. So, a couple arguments there. One, and this is probably their, their strongest argument, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. You want to read that for us in its entirety? They, they leave off part of the verse that is very important to the discussion here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. They say, well, Jesus is coming with the voice of an archangel, of the archangel. So therefore, if he's coming with the voice of the archangel, he must be the archangel. Jesus is Michael the archangel. Read the passage for us there if you don't mind, Monty. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. All right, so Jesus is going to return with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. Now, well, one thing that I thought of as I read this verse is they said that there's only one archangel and that it's always used in the singular, but this is the voice of an archangel, like there could possibly be more of them, and that they have a significant voice, but it doesn't say the voice of the archangel is the voice of an archangel. Well, he's going to return with the voice of an archangel, that, and they say that means he must be the archangel, but he's also going to return with the trumpet of God. Does that mean Jesus is the trumpet of God? Right. Uh, I could make the same argument, couldn't I, Anthony, that if Jesus is, the, is Michael because of that statement, he'd also have to be the trumpet of God. Right, yeah. I just think grammatically you know, they're hanging a, an awful lot on really some flawed grammatical reasoning here. All right, we're going to show that their arguments just simply don't hold water. But we have other arguments that we can make from the scriptures, we'll get to shortly, that show that it can't be the way that they've concluded. In fact, if it, we were to take their interpretation of passages like First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it would force a direct contradiction with other passages in the scriptures. But it goes on and says, he is an army leader, Monty, uh, that uh, he leads a group of faithful angels, and that Jesus has powerful angels, and, well, they make an assumption here, since the Bible doesn't talk about two groups of angels, then they must be the same group of angels. And if Michael's leading them, then Jesus must be Michael, since Jesus leads them. You know, from what, we, from what I understand of the military, in the army that we have in the United States, there is some four- or five-star general there that is the head, the leader of the army. He's the top-ranking officer in the army. Yeah. But our president of the United States, who happens to be Barack Obama right now, is the 
the commander in chief of the army. So okay. he's in charge even over whoever this right. one general is. Right. So for Jesus to be over the army and Michael of angels and Michael Archangel to be over the army of angels, that's just saying Jesus is the commander in chief and Michael would be equivalent, I guess you would say, to that four or five star general over the army. But that doesn't make, their, make, make them the same one. Barack Obama is not the same person as whoever this five-star general is that's over our army. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so it is not a contradiction, or it does not mean that the president has to be the commander of the or the, the general. He's not the that army. general. Right. And uh, so, uh, again, their, their logic doesn't hold water. All right. So what does the Bible say? Is Jesus an angel? My father's in the chat room, and he references Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, which is where I was headed as well, because Hebrews chapter 1 makes is there to make the argument that jesus is not an angel explicitly and if he's not an angel he's not michael the archangel in hebrews chapter 1 verse 4 beginning having become so much better talking of jesus than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they notice verse 5 for to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today i have begotten you and again i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son Verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 1, Anthony, says, To which of the angels did he ever say of what, what he said about Jesus? And the answer is he didn't say it about any angels. Jesus is not an angel. He's his son. Right. I, I mean, logically, there's just, you can't, you know, it's a straitjacket you can't get out of. I mean, uh, you know, what's striking to me, what you've read so far, is just, uh, you know, really just, just a failure to, to apply sound logic. Uh, you know, the whole thing about the armies, well, they, they have to be the same army. Well, no, they, they they don't. So it's not a forced conclusion there. So, But this is inescapable, really. All right. Now, let's go on, because Hebrews chapter 1 doesn't end at verse 5, verse 6. And, but when he again brings it, uh, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. He's not an angel. He's telling the angels they need to worship Jesus. But notice verse 7 and 8. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers of a flame of fire. Verse 8. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Your throne, what? O Michael the archangel? Your throne, O non-deity? Your throne... O God is forever and ever. But this is God the Father attributing Godhood to Jesus the Son. And so he's not saying your son, O angel, but he's saying you son, or your throne, O God. Jesus is part of God. He's, he is deity because the Father here said so. If that's all, that, that would be the only thing we needed to know right there, is God said that Jesus was God also. And that answers the question. I think that, that does close the book on the fact that he's not Michael the Archangel, and he is, in fact, deity. Uh, their logic doesn't hold water. Their claims, worse contradictions. Many other verses we could look at. We'll look at some on the other side of the break. Uh, but we want your thoughts in the chat room if you want to sign in there, if you've not signed in already. Sign in and let us know your thoughts. Or give us a call, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? 
Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgardner. My family and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Please join us. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, and we want to hear from you. Sign in the chat room. Give us a call. As we talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses, again, maybe no group that we will have more opportunity to study with. Lots of groups today, sadly, Monty, just aren't interested in studying or engaging in a discussion of our differences. Uh, We live in a world where people think, well, I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, There really isn't no way that uh, we can determine an absolute right and wrong Uh, What's right for you may not be right for me. Uh, We'll just coexist and everything will be okay. We don't believe that way. We do share that belief with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, And uh, as a result, we will have uh, likely the opportunity to to discuss with them uh, their beliefs. And so we need to be prepared uh, with an understanding of what the Scriptures teach so we can be assured of our faith and also attempt to uh, convince them of their error. And so we're talking about that on the program tonight. Jesus is not deity, but he's actually Michael the Archangel, according to the Watchtower Society, according to the witnesses. Scriptures teach something entirely different, as we looked at in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, unto which of the angels did he ever say? You are my son, this day have I begotten you. He didn't say to any of the angels, Jesus is not an angel. God referred, the Father referred to him as God when he says to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus is deity. Jesus is not an angel. Lots of other passages we look at. Uh, Monty, I think you've got uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 at the ready. Well, I've got that, and also kind of corresponding to that, in, where we was in Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 10, God the Father is referring to Jesus and said, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Uh, then you go to John chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then if you come down here to verse 14, talking about this Word that it was talking about, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it, both of these places, it's talking about someone that was active in the work of a creation that was there at the beginning before the world was made and was involved in the making of it and both of these places is telling us that jesus was that part of deity or a part of deity that was there at work in 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 this process all right we've got to get to john chapter one there where it says in the beginning was the word the word was with god okay there's no problem there so you get the latter part of verse one the word was god not only was he with god he was god he was deity 
they can't stand that, uh, Anthony. And as a result, well, they've sort of twisted the scriptures around in right. their translation. Yeah, someone in the chat room mentioned that, um, you know, a fact that we haven't uh, brought up yet is that um, they have their sort of their own in-house translation of the Bible, I guess approved by the Watchtower Society, I would presume. Um, and there, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, reads a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, it says, in the beginning, the word was a God with a little g. Uh, that doesn't help, really. Uh, how do you explain that? But um, but it's a mistranslation, nonetheless, and it uh, it flies in the face of what the Scriptures actually teach, that Jesus you know, is if, deity. If you think about it, as we understand the Bible, there is three persons that make up deity, being God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So if you were to say that Jesus was a God, that would be an accurate, it's not the way we typically use it, but that would be an accurate way of saying Jesus was a God, a part, part of, of the, the Godhead. Part of the Godhead. And so they really no, haven't okay. fixed anything by their retranslation there. No, they or haven't. By, well, they not haven't. translation, by, by their brutalization. Brutalization. Uh, let's look at some other passages. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 28, uh, uh, Monty, as uh well, we refer to him as Doubting Thomas, is convinced that Jesus is, in fact, raised from the dead. In John chapter 20, verse 28, what's Thomas's response to that evidence? It says, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Whoa, now Thomas called Jesus God. Did Jesus then correct him and say, No, Thomas, what are you thinking? Come on, don't you know I'm Michael the archangel? You know, as we think about this part of this angel business, uh, Every time that we read about in the Bible where someone fell down before an angel and made some attempt to worship or praise this angel, the angel stopped him. He says, don't do that. Yep. I'm just a servant of God, just like you. I'm just, don't worship me. Don't, absolutely don't do it. Well, right here, Jesus refers, is referred to by Thomas as my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't in the next verse say, Thomas, don't do that. I'm just an angel. Right. And other places that we read about where people worship Jesus, uh, one of the places I was listening to today, I believe it's in John, was the man that Jesus had uh, made the clay and put on his eyes and healed him of his blindness. He came back and spoke to him later. Jesus told him who he was, and he worshipped him. Jesus didn't stop him. And other places where we read about Jesus being worshipped, he didn't stop the people that was doing that from worshipping him. And even other men, like the Apostle Paul, I believe him and Barnabas was the people in forget now where it was they tried to worship them they said oh don't do it don't do it and said they had trouble stopping them from it yeah so people that are truly servants of god don't allow their self to be worshiped angels don't allow their self to be worshiped yes but god allows himself to be worshiped and jesus allowed that yes that's right and my father is in the chat room again he says when john attempted to worship an angel he was uh told see thou do it not in revelation 12, mm-hmm. 19 verse 10 as you mentioned money angels were not to be worshiped but jesus is to be worshiped and so, again, not lining up here, the fact that he wouldn't be deity and that he wouldn't that he is an angel just doesn't make sense. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, prophesies of Christ and his birth and says that Jesus' name will be called Emmanuel. You remember what that means, Anthony? I Matthew think so. 1, verse 23. <laughs> Unless my memories escape me, that means God, God is with us. It God doesn't mean angel us. is with us, right? No. God with us. And so, again, more evidence that Jesus is deity, not an angel. Uh, Jesus' name in Isaiah chapter 9, verse, or chapter 6, verse, sorry, chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah. Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, 
the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All right. Um, and in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Well, they share in the qualities of deity there. They're one. And so uh, we have, again, more evidence that Jesus is deity. How about John chapter 8, verse 58? Monty, you want to pull that up? John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus uses a term that God used in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, to refer to himself. Monty? John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. I am. Now, you remember in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, how God used the name I am, or the reference I am, to be how he identified himself to the children of Israel. Well, we also in John chapter 8, and verse 59, these Jews that Jesus said that to before Abraham was I am, understood what he meant by that, because it says, then it took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus went and hid himself out of the temple, and, and went out of the temple. So they understood that if, for what Jesus said, he was representing himself to be God, and they felt like that was blasphemy and that he needed to be killed for it. Yes. Uh, and but So they understood what he was saying. Yeah. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But he did claim to be God, and he certainly is. Uh, he is not Michael the Archangel. Uh, quickly, there, our listeners' comments, we're running out of time. We've gone too long on this, this point, but uh, there, certainly there are lots of uh, points to be made about uh, this false teaching. Uh, Ramona in Texas says Michael is is not a deity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, not Michael. Uh, I am the same one. I am the first. Moreover, I am the last. Moreover, my own hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my own right hand extended out the heavens. Isaiah chapter 48, 12, and 13. Isaiah 43, verse 10. No God was formed before me, nor, shall, nor will I be after me. I am Jehovah. There is no other Savior but me. Isn't Jesus the Savior? God knows of no other gods, yet Jesus is another God. And so, uh, Ramona, appreciate your comments there. Chris in the U.K. Uh, says um, he references uh, certain uh, writings that uh, Charles Taze Russell, uh, who helped start the uh, this Jehovah's Witness movement, uh, wrote about uh, Jesus that actually, he says, shows that Jesus is God, uh, that would contradict their current teachings. About Jesus, Russell wrote in The Atonement Between God and Man on page 85, It is the Great One who has been thus highly exalted and honored by Jehovah, whom we delight to honor and worship. So he was to be valued and worshipped like Jehovah, or God, if you will. He also wrote The Watchtower in November 1879 on page 48. Hence it is said, let all the angels of God worship him. That must include Michael the chief angel, since Michael is not the son of God. That speaks for itself. If you need another, he wrote in The Plan of the Ages on page 178, notice that this teaches that not only the angelic nature is a lower nature than that of our Lord before he became man, it is not then so high as he is now, so not an angel, and the and kind of agreeing with Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Chris also references Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, which, uh, say, which says that uh, in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. So Christ has all the characteristics of God. He is God, and he is the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1, and, and, and John chapter 8, verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. And uh, he also goes on and says, uh, Jesus and God are both called the first and the last in Isaiah 44, verse 6, and Revelation 1, verse 8. Isaiah, the Son, was called, was called the mighty God in uh, 9, verse 6. 
And in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, mighty God is used of the Lord of Israel. So thank you for those comments, Chris. All right, we need to go on uh, and get to the uh, next comment about um, the Holy Spirit, the question about the Holy Spirit. They don't believe the Holy Spirit is God, but rather God's active force. We'll get that after the break. Let's catch some comments in the chat room before we go. Um, Brendan is here. Brendan's been gone for a long time, hasn't been listening to the program live. Brendan, glad to have you back. Um, My father says, most religious people will argue that anything goes. We hear that all the time, honey, or anything, anything goes. Right. You believe what you want to believe, that'll be fine. Hey, man, if you believe that, that's fine. We don't, we don't, we can get along. Don't want to tell you what to think. Yeah. Right. But then they draw the line when it comes to the Jehovah's Witnesses. They can't accept what they're teaching. And my father asks the question, "Where's the consistency?" I think you'd have to agree with that, Monty. That if we're going to be consistent, then uh, Jehovah's Witness doctrines that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, that he's not really deity. You'd have to say, well, that'll be all right, too. If I can believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. What about them? Can they believe what they believe? You know, I've, I've talked with people before that was that, was that way. They, anything goes, you know, you these denominational, the idea of denominations is okay because they represent great and deep thoughts by lots of men over the years, over the centuries and things like that. But every one of them that I've talked to that feels that way, that basically anything goes, has got somebody that they draw the line and say, oh, but that won't, I can't go with that one. Well, it, either anything goes or it don't. And if you really truly believe that anything goes, then you have to take that to the extreme that, okay, this atheist, his thing's okay too, or the devil worshiper, his thing's okay too, because that, you know, whatever you believe, that's fine. You know, but so obviously the people that would say anything goes don't really mean that when they get down to it. All right. So if it doesn't apply for the Jehovah's Witnesses, then it doesn't apply for the other people who don't agree with what the scriptures teach. If we're going to, if, if, if there's going to be a line, they say, okay, if you cross that line, then you're not okay. Then we need to let the Bible draw the line, not mm-hmm. me and my own personal judgment on where that line is. I can't go with the Jehovah's Witnesses, but I can go with the Catholics. I can't go with the Muslims, but I can. the Baptists are okay. We've got to go with what the Scriptures teach. Second John 1, verse 9, uh, Whoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. Second John, verse 9. So, there you go. That's the line. The doctrine of Christ is what goes. That's right. That's where, that's where you draw the line, and uh, we've got to be consistent. So, good comments tonight. All right, when we get back, we'll uh, get into the discussion. The Holy Spirit's not God either. We'll make that a little quicker on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In the book called The Father Book, an instruction manual, child psychiatrists Brian Newman, Paul Warren, and Frank Menrith stress the importance of the father's role in successful families. Here are some quotes. Quote, 80% or more of the issues we have to work through are kid and parent issues. Quote, by far, most of the kids I see don't need a therapist as much as they need a dad. Quote, the men with the healthiest attitudes were loved and nurtured by a father. They supply these statistics from the American Academy of Child Psychiatry. Among boys 12 to 17 years old, 8.8% got in trouble with the police when fathers were present in the home. 16.6% got in trouble when there was no father in the home. For girls, the percentages were 1.2 and 1.8% respectively. 
Trouble at school followed the same trend. 4.4% for fathered boys, 9.9% for fatherless boys, 1.2% for fathered girls, 3.8% for fatherless girls. Dr. Warren says, quote, In most of the families I see who are going through difficult times, the father is not in his place leading the family and dealing with the problem. Leading is being involved in the family, in the problem, and in the solutions. While the experiences and reports of these men may alert us to the importance of the role of fathers, the points they make should not be surprising to those who have read their Bibles. Fathers have an awesome responsibility in regard to their children. Take it seriously. Don't let your job, your recreation, or your other responsibilities crowd your children out of your life. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Micah, and I'm four years old, and, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. We are back on the program tonight, reminding you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we encourage you, if you uh, have not contacted us, send us an email. Let us know you're out there, questions at collegeu.com. And we'll also remind you, we have some bumper stickers. We'd like to provide you with one so you can help get the word out about the program. Send us your snail mail address to questions at collegeview.com, and we can provide you one of those at no cost. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. If you've not been to our website, it is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Now, we're talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses and their false doctrines, some of them scratching the surface, they also not only believe Jesus is not deity, they also believe that the Holy Spirit is not deity. Again, from their website, the Holy Spirit is God's power in action, his active force. God sends out his spirit by projecting his energy to any place to accomplish his will. The Bible show, it goes on and says, the Bible shows that the Holy Spirit is not a person. And it says the Bible gives the names of Jehovah God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, yet nowhere does it name the Holy Spirit. When the Christian martyr Stephen was given a miraculous heavenly vision, he saw only two persons, not three. The Bible says, he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and caught the sight of God's glory and of Jesus standing at God's right hand. The Holy Spirit was God's power in action, enabling Stephen to see the vision. But they conclude that he that the Holy Spirit is not God, he's not a person, he is just God's active force. What are your thoughts about that, Monty? Is is the Holy Spirit just God's active force? Well, as, <clears throat> when I go back at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and earth was out form and void, and darkness on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, I don't get the impression it's saying that there was some active force hovering over the waters. I don't think forces hover. Just not in, by definition, that's not something that happens. So we can see that there was a presence there of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God was there. That, and if we've already talked about Jesus was there involved in creation. God the Father was there involved in creation. And in Genesis 1 verse 1 and 2, it tells us the Holy Spirit was there and was involved in creation. So we know that they was these three members that make up the Godhead was there at creation. It wasn't the Father and the Son and the power that they wielded, but it was the Father and the Son and this other being that, you know, as far as it not having a, a given name, 
uh, I don't have to not have a given name for something for it to be something. I don't know everybody in the whole world. I mean, if I walked in this market over here, there's going to be people there that I don't know their name, but that doesn't stop them from being people. Right. It doesn't mean that that's just an active force because I haven't been given their name, but they're still people just the same. Right. So the fact that the, the revelation, we're not given a, a, a proper name, so to speak, for the Holy Spirit is totally irrelevant. It's something I don't need to know. And they just got done in the article <laughs> we looked at saying that, uh, that Michael is a named angel and Gabriel is a named angel, but the other angels, we don't know their names. Does that mean they don't exist? And they're not angels? They're just active forces. They're just active forces. It's a, it's a ludicrous <clears throat> argument. But furthermore, it uh, denies such clear teachings about the deity of the Holy Spirit. My father in the chat room references Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, which perhaps is uh, one of the clearer that calls the Holy Spirit God. Look at Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. This is the episode of Ananias and Sapphira trying to pull one over on the apostles and Ananias comes in and lies about the um, amount of money that they had gotten from the land evidently look at uh, Acts chapter 5 verse 3 but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained was it not your own and after it was sold was it not in your own control why have you conceived this thing in your heart for you have not lied to men but to God, Isaiah, I mean, sorry, Ananias in Acts, in Acts chapter five, verse three, had lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter concludes in verse four that he had lied not to men, but to God. Ties God and the Holy Spirit together shows that he is deity. But it's not the only place we can go to show that the Holy Spirit is deity. He has the characteristics of deity. Looking at Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit is eternal, certainly a characteristic that belongs only to God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works and to serve the living God? The Holy Spirit is eternal. Again, a characteristic of God. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 Reference the Holy Spirit as being God. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says that he is eternal. And Psalm chapter 139 verses 7 and 8. Monty, if you can get there quickly. One Psalm 139 verses 7 and 8 tells us that the, the Spirit is omnipresent. We can't go anywhere to escape the presence of the Spirit. He's omnipresent, another characteristic of deity. Psalm 139 verses 7 and 8 says, Where can I go from your Spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. All right. So uh, the Spirit is everywhere. He's omnipresent, a characteristic only of God and deity. And so we conclude the Holy Spirit is deity. Uh, my father in the chat room references 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Christians are not only temples of God. They are also temples of the Holy Spirit. A temple is a habitation for a deity, when Paul writes, Temple of the Holy Spirit, he implies that the Holy Spirit is God. Interesting argument, Anthony. Yeah, I, I think, think that may be a, a valid argument as well. Right, right. All right, good good points there tonight. If you got anything else in the chat room, we'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, so the Holy Spirit is clearly deity. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, in contradiction to what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, that he's just a 
force. He's just the force, the active force of God. All right. Our listeners uh, tonight, uh, Ramona in Texas, uh, she references Acts 3 and 4, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, um, that he is linked with God. He says he's not the Father, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He's not the Son, John chapter 14, verse 16. He is a person, not just God's active force, as the Jehovah's Witnesses and others may claim. Personal pronouns and the masculine gender are used of him in the original language in the Bible, John chapter 14, verses 26. And chapter 16, verse 13, he is called comforter, just like Jesus or like Christ compared himself. And in, in John chapter 14, verse 16, has personal qualities of uh, mind. He has knowledge, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. He has memory, John chapter 16, verse 13. Has communication and speech, John chapter 14, verse 26. He has the ability to use words and verbalize concepts. That's interesting, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, and 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He has a will. The capacity for choices and decisions, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He demonstrates emotions of love, Romans 15:30. Grief, thir- Ephesians 4, verse 30. He can feel slighted and mistreated. He can be resisted, Acts chapter 5, verse or Acts chapter 7, verse 51. He may be lied to, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. He may be vexed or grieved, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. He can be blasphemed, Matthew chapter 21, verse or, sorry, Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. And he can be insulted, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. You know, Jacob, that blaspheme, that's pretty pretty key. That's I a, mean, that you is can't a blaspheme yeah. a force, really. Right, yeah. Uh, so. yeah, that's a great one. Uh, and so uh, Ramona concludes, it becomes apparent that the Holy Spirit does possess characteristics that can only be attributed to a person. And and also, uh, we would I add, he, that characteristics that can only be attributed to deity. Thank you for those comments tonight, Ramona. Uh, and along those lines, Chris, in the U.K., adds, the Spirit is called God, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, able to reach, John chapter 14, verse 26, can be blasphemed, Matthew 12, 31 and 32, able to comfort, Acts chapter 9, verse 31, speaks, Acts chapter 28, verse 25, can be resisted, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, can be grieved, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and helps us in our weaknesses, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. So again, Monty, it's, it's hard to escape the fact that the Spirit has these characteristics that we could only attribute to God. And to an individual, not to right. some, like you said, some active force. but Some mysterious ca- force. Some mysterious yeah. force, characteristics attributed to an individual. All right, all right. We'll look forward to hearing your thoughts in the chat room. All right, so we talked about uh, Jesus and being deity, the Holy Spirit being deity, this, the Jehovah's Witnesses are also mistaken and wrong in their belief of our soul. They believe that man has no immortal soul. Uh, in for again from their website, they ask the question, "What is man? What man is?" Clearly, the Bible shows what man is. He does not have a soul. He is a soul because of what man is, his nature, any hope for future life for the dead. Depends on a resurrection or raising up. The Bible promises, do not marvel at this, because the hour is coming which all those in the, immor- in the memorial tombs will hear Jesus' voice and come out. Those who do good things to the resurrection of life. Those who practice vile things to a resurrection of judgment. That sure promise of a resurrection, not the teaching of the immoral- immortality of the soul, is the basis for real hope for the dead. We don't have an immortal soul. 
we are a soul, they say. There, there is no such thing as a physical body and then the spiritual being. They go on uh, talking about uh, these religions that disagree with them. Such religious teachings all share one basic idea, that some part of us survives the death of the physical body. According to mo- almost every religion, past and present, we somehow live on forever with the ability to see, hear, and think. Yet how can it be? Our senses, along with our thoughts, are all linked to the workings of our brain. At death, the brain stops working. Our memories, feelings, and senses do not continue to fun- function independently of s- in some mysterious way. They do not survive the destruction of the brain. In other words, we don't have a spirit or a soul that lives separate from the body. Uh, that is the teachings of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Monty, your thoughts on that? Well, in one respect, I wouldn't necessarily disagree when they say that we don't have a soul, we are a soul. That is probably technically correct. We have, we are an immortal being because we're made after the image of God, and God's immortal. And so that part of us isn't... But it's not... Death is the separation of that part of us from this physical right. body. Not, it's not inseparably linked to our body. No, it's body, not inseparably linked to Which is it. what they're saying, and, yes. And for them to say, well, your memories and all that are, are gone when the brain quits working, that's just an unprovable assumption on their part. Well, it's an unprovable assumption. It doesn't go along with what the Scriptures Well, teach. it doesn't go along with the Scriptures, but even if we didn't have the Scriptures, that would still be an unprovable assumption to say, well, we, we've got this immortal, we're an immortal soul, but we're not going to remember nothing after the body dies. Well, that's still trying to link everything that we are to the body. And the Bible teaches this body is just a temporary dwelling. All right, let's, uh, let, we, can, we can get very far into this discussion by the verse that my father's reference in the chat room. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. They're two separate things. They said, we don't have a soul, we are a soul. In other words, it's totally linked to our body. But Jesus says it is possible to kill the body but not kill the soul, or you can kill both. Only God can deal with mm-hmm. both of them. To me, that's kind of, I'm not sure how you would uh, work around that verse. Yeah, very difficult. And then my father also references the rich man and Lazarus. The accounts, uh, uh that account, he says, kills their position. They claim it's just a parable. Maybe, maybe not, but would Jesus use a lie to make his point? Again, the whole the whole account is about their existence after death. That's that's the that's the whole point. The if lesson. it's just a parable, and you know, I, what wouldn't, is it? I wouldn't argue with him real hard one way or another on that, but it's really irrelevant because if it's just a parable, it's still a parable to teach a lesson that when we die, we have an eternal existence that's either going to a place of reward or a place of punishment. And then when we die, that fate is fixed. Nothing can be done to change it at that point. But it still teaches an immortal existence after this life. All right. So man does have an immortal soul. When we get back, we need to go to the top of the hour talking about an existence for the wicked after death. So... They say, since we don't have an immortal soul, we have no existence after death. And if you're wicked, well, then you're just dead. That's it. There is no place called hell. There is no eternal place of judgment. What do you think about that? Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this.
These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study on Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses, their doctrines, and how they compare with what the Scriptures teach. Uh, along those lines, we had a caller uh, during the last segment who called. Uh, we were talking about the Spirit being the Holy Spirit being deity. You referenced the baptism of Jesus, uh, Monty, where all three were present simultaneously, God the Father uh, in the voice, the Spirit descending as a dove, and Jesus in the flesh. Uh, so certainly more references there to there being three beings in the Godhead, uh, a doctrine that the Jehovah's Witnesses would deny. Three distinct beings that were in the same place and witnessed by humans at one time. Yep. Okay, and we talked about the idea that man has no immortal soul. Quickly, Ramona says there is an immortal soul. A soul. The immortal souls of all those who have gone before live right now in the place of the dead, and those immortal souls will be resurrected to be rejoined with a new and immortal body. Acts chapter 24, verse 15. Those who do not believe in the existence of the immortal soul, in the words of Jesus, do greatly err. Mark 26, verse 20. Or, sorry, Mark chapter 12, verse 27. The righteous will go on into eternal life, and the wicked into eternal condemnation. And uh, Chris in the UK says, he references the rich man and Lazarus. If no immortal soul, who is David going to when he dies, when he speaks of his son's passing from Bathsheba? Revelation chapter 20, uh, the great throne judgment also implies this. That's a, that's a good point there from David, in saying that he would the son couldn't return to him, but he could go to the son. He looked forward to that. Uh, what is he talking about there? Uh, now, our next point quickly tonight as we run out of time. Uh, they say there's no existence for the wicked after death. There's no hell or eternal place of judgment. From their website, uh, they say uh, that many people believe in a fiery hell as shown in the religious artwork accompanying this article. However, the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible teaches there is not a fiery hell, they say. 
What do you think, Monty? Well, as we was talking about Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 a while ago, uh, Jesus said that we should fear God who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus obviously believed in a place called hell. He taught, talked about it and taught about it quite frequently. There's numerous places in the New Testament that we can see that he referred to it. So if there's not one, then Jesus lied to us. Yes, he did. He did. Uh, he says that, that, that there's going to be a place where the worm will not die, fire mm-hmm. will not be quenched. Uh, certainly, we have to say that uh, there is a punishment after this life is over. Uh, Ramona says um, they think hell is a condition, not a place. They think the grave is the only hell there is. But uh, Paul said that Christ would give those who were troubled rest when Jesus returns with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and of his power and from the glory of his power. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses seven and through nine. Uh, destruction here is the loss of one's state of well-being. It is an eternal loss. There is no appeal from the final sentence of one who is consigned to the in- infernal regions of torment. Jesus said these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Matthew 25, verse 46. Again, uh, that's an everlasting. If it, if heaven or the uh, reward is everlasting, then certainly the destruction is as well, honey. It refers to both of them with that same term, everlasting. So if one of them is like you said, it's the same for both of them. The, the duration of it is the same. So, And Jesus clearly understood that there was this place of punishment that we refer to as hell, that the Bible refers to as hell, and there's this, this place of reward that the Bible refers to as heaven. So they're both there. Uh, we can't see them now. We don't probably truly have a real grasp of what they are with our feeble human minds, but they're there, and the Bible clearly tells us so. All right. Guest 705 in the chat room says, Scripture speaks of of the second death. One is physical, the other is spiritual. Again, agree with that. Thank you, 705. My father references Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 44, a passage that makes no sense if there is not a place of eternal destruction. Matthew chapter 9, verses 43 through 44, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed, than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Why be so worried about it if it's just sort of a destruction and it's not going to go on? If when I was an evil person and died and I was just no more and that was the end of it, they would be very, in some ways of looking at very little incentive for me to be good because I could do whatever I wanted to, be as bad as I wanted to, as evil and wicked as I wanted to, and then... I'm just going to be dead, and that's the end of it. So they, if there wasn't any punishment for it, there wouldn't be much incentive to do good. And then my dad also references Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, and asks, how could there be a sore punishment than death if there is no hell? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified? an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. Now, Anthony, I don't know. You know, in the Old Testament, you would be stoned, so you'd be killed physically. But there's going to be a worse punishment for you if you reject Jesus. Yep. What's worse than death if death is all there is? 
Right. Doesn't make it doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. Jeff in the chat room references Matthew twenty five verse forty six and Mark chapter three verse nine and says what part of everlasting and eternal don't they understand? He also says uh, John chapter five verse twenty nine says that the unrighteous will be resurrected as well. Uh, so there's going to be a resurrection, and those who have done evil will be resurrected to this eternal damnation. All right, quickly, just a few more minutes to go. As we look at these doctrines that are contradictory to what the Scriptures teach, perhaps even one of the more shocking that I'm sure that many of our listeners are aware of, they believe that this earth will not be destroyed but it'll actually be where most of the righteous will live eternally. So heaven will be for a few, for 144,000. But the rest of us, if we're righteous, will have the hope of living here on the earth when this life is over. Let's see here uh, from their website again. The Bible's words about heaven and earth passing away apparently refer to the end of today's corrupt human governments and their ungodly supporters, Second Peter 3, verse 7. That will open the way for God's new heavenly government to bless a righteous new human society, for there are new heavens and a new earth that are waiting according to God's promise, and in these righteousness is to dwell, Second Peter 3, verse 13. Thus you can have faith in God's promise that our earthly home will last forever. Moreover, the Bible shows what you must do to share in that wonderful time when the earth will be transformed into a global paradise. Jesus said this means everlasting life. They're taking in knowledge of you, the only true God, and of the one whom you sent forth, Jesus Christ, John 17, verse 3. Why not make it your goal to examine what the Bible teaches about the future of the earth and humankind? Jehovah's Witnesses in your area will be delighted to assist you in this regard. Well, Afraid we don't need their assistance if they're teaching that uh, we will live on this earth forever, because things are going to get pretty rough here on this earth, Monty. Well, as I read in Second uh, Peter chapter three, uh, beginning at verse ten, let's say, it says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that in them will be burned up." Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Looking for and hastening the day of the coming of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Uh, these passages clearly say that this place that we're living in now, the ultimately you might say the universe and everything in it is going to be destroyed. Yeah. It's not going to be a paradise. It's going to be destroyed. and uh, And certainly... Uh, our hope is not in living forever on this earth. Uh, Chris in the UK says this world uh, says Second Peter chapter three verse ten the earth will be burned up. Isaiah sixty five verse seventeen God creates a new earth implying a doing away with the old one. Uh, also, it's not remodeled. He says, and here's one John eighteen thirty six Jesus kingdom is not of this world. Uh, and Ramona. References uh, John chapter 14, verse 3. Uh, she says this would be the main verse she'd use to contradict this. In verse 2 of John 14, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. 
Jesus said that our reward will be in heaven, not here on this earth. The Jehovah's Witnesses are saying we ought to look forward to a reward here on earth. Jesus said that reward will be in heaven. You know, Jesus said, I go to to prepare a place for you. So he went somewhere else to do it, not here, because he left. He didn't stay here to do it. He went somewhere else to do it. So the, the scriptures tell us that when Jesus comes back, the saved are going to rise to meet him in the air, and then they're going to go and be with him evermore. Uh, the, the saved people, the righteous people, are not staying here. You know, they say 144,000 are going to be with him in heaven, and the rest are going to stay here. The Bible clearly says that all of the saved people are going to where Jesus is. We'll be with him forever. Forever. Not coming back here to hang out forever, but going to where he is. And Jesus said he's gone, and that's a place is called heaven, and yes. that's where God is. We're going to go be with Jesus and be with God forever in heaven. And if that's the case, I don't want to be here. Yes, exactly right. And my father in the chat room references Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, the passage of the ones here. Uh, There's one body, one spirit. Notice this in verse 4. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. There's one hope. Now, if I am a Jehovah's Witness, I can count two hopes, right? Those that are in the 144,000 which the last one, I think they said, uh, was born in 1913, if I'm not mistaken. Those folks, 144,000, have a hope. And the rest of us, souls, people, I guess we're not souls, we're people, have another hope, that is to live here on earth. 144,000, their hope is heaven. certainly doesn't jive with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. All right. Any other comments, Anthony? I don't know. I think uh, I think the themes that I've picked up on, I just think there's a lot of faulty logic there. You know, clearly, scripture or you know, interpretations that are in direct contradiction to to the Bible. Uh, so it's, it's really difficult to reconcile those positions. And you, know, you would think, if we have the opportunity to study with uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses, that you know, it, it, we just need to open the Bible and point these things out, and hopefully they can have know be receptive to to hearing uh to hearing the truth hey and we need to do it in a in a kind and loving manner Anthony. i mean they're, right. they're they're mistaken and just like uh, any other anyone else could be mistaken we could be mistaken and uh we should treat them the way we'd want to be treated in that circumstance with uh, love and uh, kindness uh but showing them the error of the way money well i think it's been a good study tonight and you know the bible teaches that we need to be prepared to defend the gospel, and this is a subject that we needed to study in order to help be prepared yeah. for this particular uh, form of false teaching. So be prepared. It, it, we're prepared for it a little bit better than we were beforehand, and we don't have to be afraid to don't talk to them. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. They come to your door to study. Invite them on in. Yeah, I'd like You've to study with you. You've got an opportunity to study with someone. Take advantage of it. It may not have account to any, amount to anything, but it's certainly an opportunity. But for we've you. done what we were supposed to do by sowing the seed. There what, you go. What they do with their heart and receiving or not receiving that seed that is sowed is between them and God. I don't have anything to do with that. It's a little bit late to get on a soapbox, Monty, but <laughs> you're about to get on one. We're supposed to sow the seed. We're not responsible for what other people do with it, and so let's be doing that. That's right. All right. Thank you for your time tonight, Monty. Thank you, Thanks Jacob. Thank you, Anthony, for being here. Good Thanks. to have you back. Yeah, don't be a stranger. It was like riding a bike, uh, so there, it, was yeah. actually, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate right. it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Hope you've been from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day.
You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.